a man woke up once morning, got out of bed, got dressed, did his thing, and walked down to his kitchen, ate his breakfast, had his coffee, got all ready to get out the door, and he walks over and he opens it up, there's this huge boulder right in front of it. And he's in an apartment on like the fifth floor, so there's no other way to get out. He starts like pushing against the boulder really hard. Nothing's happening, won't even budge. He starts banging on it, crying for somebody to help. No one hears him. He keeps pushing and pushing and praying and praying, and nothing happens. It doesn't just happen for a day, but then another day, and then a week, another week. And all he can do every single day he wakes up is come to the front door and start pushing against this immovable stone that won't allow him to get to the rest of his life. At one point, it gets so difficult that he starts to give up and he falls on the ground close to despair. And that's when Jesus appears to him. He says to him, why are you letting this happen? Why can't I move this boulder so I can get on with my life? I'm just here and I'm stuck. And Jesus kind of looks at him and looks at the boulder and he goes, yeah, but look at your arms now. The guy looks at him and he he actually got really jacked. He got really strong. I can't say that for my Frasati boys because they like to go on the rivers more than they like to push rocks. So the best they can do is show Jesus their tan lines. <laughs> but today's readings are all about what we do with the struggles in our life. The fact that to live on this earth for every single one of us is a struggle. We all have boulders in our life. That things that no one else even knows about or can see. That so often we feel like are keeping us from living the life that we want to live. You know, the prophet Jeremiah is threatened in the first reading with death for speaking the truth. And he's lowered into an empty cistern and said he's just there sinking into the mud. Absolutely hopeless. And St. Paul writes to his community in Hebrews saying... Let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race. So his message is, in your struggle against your sins, in your struggles to remain faithful to Jesus Christ, don't give up. And remember that you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, those who went before you, who are not only examples of how we are to live, but are interceding for us in our battle. And Jesus says that he has not come, that he has come to cast a fire on this earth. And he speaks about a baptism with which he must be baptized. So this is, this is Jesus halfway through his ministry talking. When was Jesus baptized? Very beginning. It was the first thing that happened. So when he says there is a baptism with which I must be baptized and how I long for it to be accomplished, what is he talking about? Any ideas? The cross, the baptism in his blood. See, his baptism in the water was a prefiguration of his baptism on the cross. His descent into the water represented his descent into death, where he would die for our sins. So his true baptism was on the cross in his passion. And that's why the fathers fathers in the church they said whenever we were baptized ourselves, that we were, it was a seed of baptism. That our actual baptism, when we had water poured over us, was just a seed of God's grace planted in our hearts. 
But our true baptism is a baptism of tears. That the way that we truly enter into that relationship and grow in love with God is through our own suffering, our trials, the crosses that we have to encounter in our life, and especially the tears of remorse, of pain, of longing that come up within us. It's why the fathers of the church, the Desert Fathers, said the most sacred gift that we have to offer God is our tears in our striving to be faithful to Him. And that's what brings about the fruition of our baptism. And what this tells us with the prophets who had to suffer, St. Paul's exhortation to fight to the end, and Jesus' own desire that we would burn with that same love, that same fire that inflamed him to go to the cross, is that life is supposed to be a struggle. If you're having a hard time in your life, what society tries to tell us is that something's wrong. If you're not happy, if you don't have everything that you want, if your family, your relationships, your work, your money isn't exactly as you desire, there's something wrong with you and you need to fix it. And that's not true. The greatest news about Christianity is life sucks. But we have heaven to look forward to, right? It's like, it's okay if your life isn't exactly as you want it to be. It's okay to suffer. Jesus did not come to create a utopia on this earth, in our lives, in politics, in the church, or even in our own spiritual life. As long as we're on this earth, we will have to struggle. And the sooner we accept that, then we can have at least have the peace that comes with striving in the midst of it. And we don't have to be fooled into thinking there's something wrong with me. It's that very struggle in life that actually builds our relationship with God. I mean, we just got done with summertime, right? And everyone at the end of the school year cannot wait for summer, just a break. But if you guys remember, especially like in high school, if you didn't have any jobs over the summertime, like a lot of these guys down here, you just sit around week after week after. The best thing about making fun of my altar boys is they can't talk back to me. It's the one time I get to have this joy in my life. So I take advantage of it. It's going to be a great long year for all of you. They give me back. I moved into the Frasati house with them. So I have to deal with their constant noise and annoyances up to like 2 a.m. every day. So this is my only time of payback. It balances out. But so you get into summertime, right? And you can't wait for to just have some relaxing time. What happens after like two weeks of just sitting around? No job, no responsibilities. You're sleeping in, watching TV, eating and drinking every day. What, what starts to come over us? It's boring, right? We can't take it. It's like, I need to start doing something. Well, why is that? It's because our brains were actually made for struggle. We as human beings were made to fight against something. And without that, we actually suffer more without having a battle. And it's in those very dramas of our life, in those struggles, that's where we discover who we are what is really within us, and that's where we discover God revealing himself in the midst of that to us. And that's why Christ said, blessed are the poor heart, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And his greatest condemnation was against the rich, not just like money-wise, but the scariest thing, what we see over and over in the most developed countries in the world, what begins to go hand in hand with the richer we are, the more independent we become, is less and less religion. 
Because we stop depending on God when we don't have pain, when we don't have suffering, when we don't have boulders that we can't move on our own. Our whole relationship with the Father to know ourselves as sons comes from what is not in our capacity to accomplish. And it's out of that that we learn to cry to God as Father, saying, I need you to come to me here to help move this rock, to get me through. There's a saying that in the Stoicism that the obstacle is the way. In our life, the obstacles that we have are the very path that we're meant to walk. Not around it, but right through it. That's what comes to define us. And we can't live without those obstacles in life. One man, he told me he had a dream. He had a dream one time that he was in this arena like Thor Ragnarok style. You know, everybody around watching him. And he was having a battle with Satan. And he was just getting thrown around and beaten. And he kept getting up and fighting back. And he said that God was just up there, kind of in the stands, watching over him but very intent on everything that he was doing. So much that he, he kept looking up at him, wondering when he was going to come down and help. And he just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And at one point, when the match was ended, he went to God and he said, why did you leave me alone in there? Why didn't you come to help me? Why did you allow me even to go into this contest with the devil? And God said, because I knew that you could beat him. And that's really the greatest act of faith you could ever say to anybody. Not, I'm going to take weights off of you so that you don't feel that, but I'm going to help put more weights on your bar because I know that you're capable of lifting that. I'm pointing at you, not my altar boys, because they're not very strong yet. They need to get in the gym more. The greatest act of faith you can have in anybody is say that you can do more. You haven't reached your potential yet. And not just like, so go do it, work on it, but I'm going to help you find the ways that you can reach in that deeper potential of yourself. And God does that through the struggles that he allows into our life. It's like that, you know, life is a moral combat, you know, again, mortal combat, but it's a moral combat. Our whole life is a fighting, a struggle against our sins, a struggle against our weaknesses, struggles in relationship, and that's where the baptism of tears take place. That's where the baptism of fire, that reality of our relationship with God, comes to fruition. I even heard a talk about marriage the other day um, from a social psychologist. And he was saying, he wasn't even Christian. And he said, marriage without vows is not marriage. You can't have marriage without indispensable vows saying, I will love you and be true to you and stay with you until death. And he was a chemist, too. So he said, you have to think about it when you're making solutions, right? The way that you transform anything in a lab is through fire and through pressure that's contained, right? And so, so he said, when two people, a man and a woman, come together in marriage, what they're doing is putting themselves in like a pressure cooker where they have a lot of fire, a lot of passion, right? And a lot of pressure, and the one rule is, you don't get to leave each other. You have to remain together to the end. And it's because those vows protect that indissolubility of the relationship that the suffering of life can come in 
and can actually transform it. We can only be faithful to the suffering that we don't run away from. The only suffering that actually transforms us as human beings is what we remain in. So marriage has the very purpose of transformation, transforming you into the greatest potential that you have. The one catch, you have to stay together. The same thing with religious vows and priesthood. It's like no matter, the one rule I have here is no matter what happens in my life, I can never leave Jesus Christ. Anything else can happen, but I can never sacrifice my priesthood for anything. I made a vow. Those vows that hold us together have the purpose of making us capable of suffering. That's the point. It's romantic, right? Very romantic. I haven't preached this at a marriage homily yet, but I'm just testing the waters here. It's not looking too good. I might just talk about how beautiful it is in the end. But when we don't have that understanding, when we it's like have a grease lightning, uh, that grease movie image where you're just in the convertible and you're like driving off into the sunset together, well, what happens? The suffering comes in the relationship and you say, well, there must be something wrong with the relationship. Therefore, let's split up and find somebody new and find somebody new. And so we're not able to go past that moment of suffering. So that's what Hebrews is talking about. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Why would he say that? You've not, yet re- you've not re- yet resisted your sins to the point of shedding blood. Maybe he was thinking about Jesus in the garden. Jesus who had the deepest longing to be baptized in the cross. Who said, the Son of Man was born that he might give his life and suffer for his people. The very reason I came on this earth was for the cross. And yet what happens at the moment where he comes face to face with his ultimate destiny here? My soul is sorrowful, even unto death. And he begins to sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so deep was his anguish that he could actually say to the Father in that moment, Father, take this chalice away from me. I don't want it. But not my will, but your will be. So if we're feeling like we have crosses in our life, struggles in our life, that we wish we're not there, that we do anything to get rid of, we're not alone. Even the Son of God felt that way when He came for the very purpose, the very baptism with which He came to exist, to suffer and die for us. What is your struggle right now? What is that rock that you feel like you're waking up every single day pushing against? What is that enemy in the arena that you have to contend with every single day where you're tempted to feel alone and feel beaten? Where is your baptism of fire being accomplished in this time? The biggest message that we can get today is that that's okay that we're suffering. It's okay that you're struggling. The only true failure in life is to give up. 
It doesn't matter how many times someone comes back to confession, confessing the same sins over and over and over again. The only time they lose is when they stop going to confession. And the devil will use any trick he can to get us to stop going to confession. Pope Francis even said once, it's not God who who gives up on forgiving us, gets tired of forgiving us. It's we as human beings who get tired of asking God for his forgiveness. So no matter what the sin is, no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the weakness is, if anything, we must resolve in our life today, I am going to fight this. I'm not going to surrender to this. Even if I'm fighting to the very end of my life, and all I can do is push that rock day after day, that's going to be my gift to God. Even if the only thing I can offer to God right now is going back to confession, to confess the same sin over and over again that I seem powerless to overcome, even if I have to do that to the end of my life, that's the bar. I will never give up on that. That will get you to heaven. That will be enough. And it's that very same sacrifice. That baptism with Jesus Christ was baptized on that cross. That's what we enter into in every single Mass. That is the form of our worship. Everything is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And what do we get through that sacrifice that we worship here? We get the presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And He doesn't always come to take away our sins. He doesn't always come to take away our struggles, to give us peace. But one thing He offers us every single time we come to Mass is His presence with you. You will never be inside that apartment pushing that rock by yourself. You will never be in that arena fighting Satan on your own. You will never go to a cross or a place of darkness or descend into a system that I haven't already gone to so that I can share with you. We will never have to struggle in this life alone. And if we remain faithful to coming back to Mass, to going to confession, to never giving up in that struggle, through that pressure and through that fire, we too will be transformed into sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father.